BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, I'm Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show. This week, I'm talking with a tech expert about the intersection between tech and what's happening right now with social media platforms and how we use it in our day to day lives. Really excited about the conversation. But before we get into it, we have to talk about some of the news that's in your face. And the biggest thing right now is this Fox News defamation suit. They settled for 787.5 million dollars with Dominion voting systems. If you recall back in the 2020 election cycle, Fox News host, anchors, reporters, executives basically conspired to trash Dominion voting systems, saying that their voting systems were flawed, that their machines were broken, really all because Donald Trump wasn't winning and he did not win ultimately. And if you recall, Rudy Giuliani went on a rant and a a media spree, really just trashing this particular company and the business that they could do moving forward in numbers of elections. And so I think the public, people like me, we were all waiting to see this go to trial and hear all of the juicy details about how Fox, all of their executives, their anchors, their reporters, they all conspired to really just bring down this one company. But what we already knew and we know right now is that it was a lie. There was nothing wrong with Dominion's voting machines. Um, People knew that Donald Trump lost fair and square. And yet Fox News continued to push forward with this lie, with this lie that the election was stolen, with this lie that something was wrong with their systems. And you know what? Dominion said, I got some for you. (laughs) They brought a lawsuit. Initially, I think they asked for 1.5 million. They got 787.5 million. What? So the question is, why did Fox News settle? What are they hiding that they did not want this case to go to trial? The jury had already been seated. We were just waiting to hear all the things that were going to be said in this particular trial. And literally, Fox said, it's probably better for us to just settle rather than dragging all of the people who've been involved in this through the mud. And good for them. I'm glad that they did because, well, I don't know if I'm glad that they did because we don't know the real accountability of what could have taken place in the public court because they settled. Many folks might say, well, this is good. You know, Dominion got paid. They got a big payday. But what about Fox News? Are they able to just continue spreading lies knowingly or will this be a signal that they should not do this again? I'm hopeful that they will not do this again because it's bad for news. It's bad for the American public, particularly people who tune in and listen to them day in and day out, continue to just spread falsehoods 
fake news about something because it didn't go in their way for their particular candidate of choice. The other thing that I really want to touch on really briefly is about gun violence. I've talked about gun violence before. I've had folks on who've been experts in, you know, the gun violence prevention space. But over the last couple of weeks, really over the last week, there have been three stories that are just hard to read, listen to and hear. A young woman in Texas, Peyton Washington, she was shot after a cheer competition They were meeting in a parking lot. She went to open the door and she opened the car door to the wrong car. She apologized. She went and got into the correct car. But the driver then got out of the car and shot at her and her friends or her cheermates. Then there's the story of Kaylin Gillis in New York. She was looking to go to someone's house. She drove into the wrong driveway and the owner shot at her and ultimately killed her. Then there's the story of Ralph Yarl in Missouri. He was going to pick up his brothers and sisters in a particular neighborhood. He knocked on the wrong door. Same thing. The homeowner shot him in the head. And even once he shot him, he continued to shoot him. And then the other details that have come out about the story that are just very disturbing. He went to two or three other homes to seek help and no one would open the door. When did it become criminal to knock on the wrong door, to open the wrong car door, to turn in the wrong driveway? This is madness. It's madness that you could be killed in America for knocking on the wrong door. You could be killed in America for turning into the wrong driveway. You could be killed in America for opening the wrong car door. Thankfully, Ralph is recovering. Peyton is recovering. But Kaylin lost her life. Because someone could not forgive a mistake. And it is just sickening. The gun crime in America is sickening. These kinds of stories, they're hard for me to even share. Because it doesn't make sense. It's senseless. And guns are the problem. I had to touch on that because I think it is important that I share these kinds of things with you. Just to let you as the listener know that I'm paying attention This is what's happening in America. And we all have a collective moral responsibility to call these things out when we see them. So I hate that I'm opening on a somber note because today's conversation really is exciting when I think about what's happening in tech and what's happening with the intersection of how we use tech in our day to day lives. But I had to touch on this. So. This week's guest is Joteka Edie. She's a strategist, investor, and an advocate, but she's most likely known as the founder of the hashtag Win With Black Women, an organization that she has coalesced to keep women, black women specifically, engaged around a number of different issues, not just politics, but social, political, entertainment. I'm actually a member of the Win With Black Women group. And I receive all of her emails and updates about things that we should be amplifying, not only around women, but around the culture. And so, Joteka, I wanted to just welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining. And I'm looking forward to today's conversation. Well, I'm super excited to be here with you, Crystal. Thank you so much for having me. And it's always great to be with the fellow sister that is in the circle of women with black women. It's a beautiful thing. Joteka, this week, I really wanted to focus on tech 
and what's happening in this moment of tech, what's also happening around how tech intersects with politics and a little bit of culture as well. And so we've seen tech really dominate the news over the last couple of months. So we've seen the founder of TikTok come before Congress to give, you know, a hearing about their practices because it's Chinese owned and backed. Um, We've seen the recent headline with Discord being in the news because the Pentagon leaks (laughs) We've also seen legacy blue checks being removed from people who have blue checks on Twitter. Um, and those are just a few of the tech companies that have been in the news. But I really wanted to get your understanding about how does tech really integrate in our day to day lives? And what do we do? How do we as the public really process when we hear that some of our favorite apps or tech companies are starting to make changes that we may not be used to uh, and how we use the platform, how that will really, you know, affect the user ability and the interface when they either remove it or ban it in certain states or change things that we've been used to. Wow. First of all, I think (laughs) that it's so important that we're having this conversation about tech about tech platforms and how they interface in our day-to-day lives. When we step back, and I think when we just think about how much tech is integrated in our day-to-day lives, Mm -hmm. you begin to say, whoa, it is integrated in everything that we do. Like when we think about it from the moment you wake up, you're likely waking up probably not by an alarm clock anymore but maybe it's an Alexa mm-hmm. or it's your cell phone. You likely the first thing that most people do is pick up their devices. Um, every aspect of our lives has some level of technology, even the way we entertain ourselves. Right. You think about how we are consuming our education, the use of technology and education, our health care, mm-hmm. uh, the advancements of telehealth and how we're receiving and, and, and sharing data around our health, even down to thinking about just in the workforce. I went to a fast food restaurant and literally I thought I was just going to order from someone. And it I was actually at the Boston airport and it was it was not a fast food chain it was more like but it was still fast food at the airport Mm -hmm. and I literally wanted to just order a pizza and they were like no go to the machine and go stand at the machine and put it in the machine to order the pizza while there's like an employee standing there so it's just like when we think about our day-to-day lives technology is integrated in so much of what we do it's also permeating in so much of information that we're receiving. Absolutely. Unfortunately, there are elements, there are interests that often want to distort that information and or create a scenario in which there is either mis or disinformation for their own political or economic gain. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why it is important for there to be guardrails around technology and new technology because there has to be a level of protection for consumers. And so 
when we think about how much tech we allow into our worlds, how much data we actually give out because we're trading off the comfort. So I trade off the comfort. You know, I wanted a Gmail account and I love having my Gmail account Mm -hmm. and I love having the Google search engine. I think, you know, I love that. But I'm also sharing a lot of data and information by what I'm searching. And so often we are trading off our data so much and we're not even thinking about it um, mm-hmm. on a day to day basis. And so I think it's really important for us not only to understand how much tech impacts and is integrated in our day to day life, mm-hmm. but also the importance of making sure that there is some level of guardrails to protect consumers, because absent of that. I think tech can be very dangerous Mm -hmm. and it's going to be very important for us to have a very clear balance of having technology that allows us to grow and expand as a society, but also let us not allow it to push us to the boundaries of what can be very dangerous and that could take us back many, many steps. Absolutely. And speaking of tech and guardrails and the dangers that tech can pose to society at large, there's a new platform, ChatGPT, which is an AI platform where you can literally put something in and it generates something for you. Many people have been saying that, you know, this will revolutionize really almost every aspect of what we do when we think about writing a paper, writing an article, um, thinking about, you know, even just the Google bar platform, if you're looking up something or looking for something, how does that particular platform pose a threat to the ability to learn and understand if we can simply erase our our history of going to school, getting advanced degrees and just put something in like, help me write a term paper on the effects of climate change or help me understand economic policy. I need to write an article about it as a reporter or whatever. I see it as a revolutionizing tool, but is it also dangerous as we get into the academic space? I think we have to be extremely careful. Mm -hmm. I think there are advantages to Mm -hmm. having the technology, the ability to have more open source information for information to be more accessible for us to be able to adhere that information in in ways with less friction. But also we have to understand, you know, with any and all of this information that goes in, how are these platforms designed and developed? I mean, when we look at that platform, it's one of the fastest growing platforms in history. Mm -hmm. I believe that within two months, there were 100 million users, um, whereas it took other platforms that are equally as 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 popular months and months to develop those platforms. But it was also when it launched, there was a lot of concern with some of the bias, some of the toxicity, some of the information that was coming out. And so it goes back to thinking about all technology and what what is going into it. That is why it's so imperative. It's so important that we have not only diversity in who's creating the technology, diversity in the 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 understanding of the technology. Um, It's it's so incredibly important because absent of that, Mm -hmm. we will create platforms that mimic 
sometimes the unfortunate biases that we as humans carry. Then they go into these massive platforms and it will unfortunately, you know, just regurgitate bias. I think it's a classic example. We all remember the cases of when people who look like me with brown hands would put their hands up under a soap dispenser or a water dispenser and the um, the automation couldn't read their hands uh, yeah. because it just didn't read brown skin. And I think that those are examples that we will continue to find permeating throughout mass technology if we don't solve the root problem of ensuring that we root out bias in the development of the technology, because what's going to come out is what what you put in. It's just the whole notion of garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. So I think that it's going to be important on the front end. But I think also we have to watch, you know, how these platforms and how they're used. I think there has been some concern. Are they going to take our jobs? Um, we've yeah. already seen. Like I said, I went to yeah. I'm in the airport and I'm trying to order and it's like, no, go to this computer. I remember growing up as a young person having my job at McDonald's and working. That was my summer job. And we're seeing so many of these jobs um, go away, mm -hmm. massive amount of jobs because of automation. And so I think that there has to be a healthy balance and, you know, yes, we welcome the technology, but at what cost is it? to have the luxuries of these technology. What does that do to the overall economy? What does that do to the economic well-being of vast majorities of people mm -hmm. in this country, particularly in a country where education is so expensive right. um, and we're still fighting to have student debt relief in this mm -hmm. country? And so what does that mean when jobs that we have traditionally had for vast majorities of people in this country are now going away because uh, AI and automation and, and computer technology are replacing those jobs. I think we have to pay attention to that and we actually have to deal with that now or else I think we'll look up five, 10 years, 20 years from now and we'll have a massive divide in yeah. this country, a further divide. And I think that it's very important that we ensure that we do not allow this great advantages around all of this new technology to further divide us. If anything, it should bring us closer together, but not be a divider. And I think that's the big question with tech. It has an opportunity to, to divide us uh, or it has an opportunity to bring us together. And my hope is that we do all that we can and we focus on making sure at the very beginning parts of all of this that we are ensuring that it doesn't divide, but it actually brings us together. Well, speaking of divide, I think, you know, consumers at large can feel unified behind a particular platform or platforms that, I mean, and I'm saying that plural, but when you have our, our elected officials at the federal level who say, well, we're not unified behind this particular platform. And I, I want to transition to TikTok. There are a lot of people who use TikTok and like TikTok. I happen to be a TikToker. I use the platform nearly every single day um, because I, I feel that, you know, the algorithm right now as it stands has not been manipulated to the point where the algorithm has been manipulated on Meta, a.k.a. Facebook and Instagram and even Twitter to some extent. 
But we've seen that there's this concerted push, if it feels, and it's bipartisan. So it's not just, you know, one side of the aisle to ban TikTok. And recently, you know, the state of Montana has banned it. Tennessee, which is where I'm from, our governor recently banned it on um, government devices. So if you're on a government cell phone, if you're on a state Wi-Fi, the University of Memphis has banned it from its campus. So we see this really beginning to pop up across states. Because what we know that that happens at the federal level, things that happen at the federal level can sometimes trickle down and become a state's issue. How do we reason with that? Again, when I think there are over 150 million users already on TikTok and it's grown faster than Facebook or Twitter did and, and Instagram when they first came out and maybe not as fast as ChatGPT, but still you have the public The user saying one thing, but you also have our government officials saying another, specifically because of the Chinese backed issue. Yeah, I think that when we look at TikTok and we look at how many people use TikTok, how many people interface with TikTok, they enjoy it. And again, it goes back to technology that, you know, what are we giving up? in order to have the the joys of what TikTok brings us. It brings entertainment, it, it brings information, it's been used to galvanize uh, movement. So it's been used for a number of, of, of reasons across the board. But I think that there has been a very important conversation at all levels of government of concern, um, really looking at the security protocols. And I think what we saw with Discord and we saw, you know, what happens, the 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 unfortunate um, of, of, of serious documents being leaked on these platforms, that there is a level of, I think, real concern mm-hmm. around the security of platforms. Let's look at the 2016 election yeah. and look at how algorithms and how social media platforms were manipulated to create myths and disinformation and that is still happening and so there is a level of concern that if there is not a firewall or a a a clear delineation between a state that has been very a government that has been very hostile to our government that there is historical information that there is an interest Mm -hmm. um to meddle into not only our elections or um, in many ways, I think there's been danger towards people of color, the manipulation around hate groups inf- infiltrating into uh, Black Lives Matter on various social media platforms, um, the bots that have been created that are that is stoking racial violence. Absolutely. So it is ultimately it, 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 it seems sometimes like, oh, the government is just you know, just raising all of these alarms. They don't want us to have our TikTok. But at (laughs) what expense when we look at an election that was literally, uh, literally tampered with by outside um, foreign interests, when we see the hackings and all of those that have taken place, that there has to be, I believe, some concern and some level of, of seriousness paid to this danger of 
not having full protections of those that are using these platforms. So I think there has to be a balance. Um, I think that when you start to see not only um, the federal government, the White House, uh, Congress, state legislatures, uh, and city and local governments begin to put protections in place, then I think we have to pay attention that there is a potential danger there. And I think until TikTok and until the the owners of TikTok, you know, there's a separation and there's a clear delineation, I think that we have to pay attention to some of these dangers and some of these concerns. Now, I do recognize also that there is a level of free speech. And yeah, that's that what I was going to ask. That's incredibly important. You know, I'm a, you know, very much a supporter of the ACLU as somebody who was and continues to be an advocate. I, I recognize the importance of free speech. But at what point do we allow these platforms mm-hmm. not to abide by rules that will protect the very consumers that are a part of them? And I think that is what we have seen with platforms like Meta. And, 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 and organizations that have raised serious concerns like NAACP and Color of Change and um, other institutions who have raised legitimate concerns with how these platforms allow for advertisers and for the manipulation of these platforms without any type of real safeguards. Yeah that are put in place to protect consumers. And then what we see as a result of not having those protections in place is mass misinformation, disinformation that ultimately can lead to a lot of not only dangers in communities, Mm -hmm. because there are little dangers, dangerous scenarios where white supremacists are infiltrating and using these platforms to stoke violence in communities. Um, And we've seen our elections tampered with. I guess my only pushback against that is where does it begin and end? Because if we start, I, I, I hear the argument about China and TikTok. I also think that, you know, there's clearly been several hearings about Facebook slash Meta and what they're doing with our data and how they've manipulated, particularly preying on children, um, on, on their vulnerabilities. When we think about self-hate, when we think about bullying, all of these things. So every platform has its dangers. Let me just say that every platform also has taken our information some way or another. So from LinkedIn to Twitter to Discord to Twitch. And so I guess my question is, where does it begin and end when we think about banning particular platforms because of the type of data that they're, you know, taking from its users? How does what we're attempting to do? And when I say we, I mean the government attempting to do to TikTok. How does that differ from any other thing beyond it being owned by an American source um, from other platforms? I think that there is a important balance. And I think that what is important is that there is, number one, a deeper understanding of all of the technology and the platforms. I think that's number one is is super important. And number two, 
that the policymakers and those that are in a position to create these guardrails, that they do so in a way that doesn't stifle the innovation or stifle the advancement, but there has to be a level of protection. We have seen an entire election tampered with. We have seen hate groups Mm -hmm. infiltrate and utilize these platforms to stoke violence. And so without any type of safeguards and or regulation and or oversight, that we will find ourselves with a wild, wild west situation. And that is dangerous for a society that is dangerous for the individuals that live in the society. Mm-hmm. Now, I am of the viewpoint that there has to be a level of a balance. Okay. Um, there has to be a balance. I think when we think about I worked in financial technology for a long time. So I always, you know, champion Yes, we need to create openness for financial technology to grow and for fintech companies to have the opportunity to better service communities. Because I knew that, you know, what we all know is that there were so many banking deserts. Absolutely. Um, But at the same time, there is a real need for those companies to have a sense of guardrails around how they service their constituency and those consumers. Um, Because absent of that, you would have great new technology, but you could also not have the consumer protections that you need. And I think it's the same across all of tech platforms. I think it's important that there is a healthy balance. And I think that's why policymakers and, you know, those that are working to develop these policies is so important for us to have more information. Yeah. Um, It's so important for us to understand and be a part of this industry because it's very difficult to, you know, regulate and or do policy around the industry when it's such an unknown. And I think that is often when there is so little known or when you don't have the information, sometimes I think we can over course correct and Mm -hmm. and we can you know because when you don't know you're going to just really try to do a lot of protection and that's understandable and so i think that's why it's important for the tech industry to ensure that it is educating and bringing policymakers along with them along the way and that is why i i i think we're seeing more and more investments Mm -hmm. in major both large scale and more growing tech companies of investing in having Washington, D.C. offices, ensuring that they are engaging with D.C. and policymakers in a way to make sure that they understand the technology that they are charged with uh, creating policy around. That's such a, a great point, which is why many of these tech companies have a Gov Affairs or some type of D.C. based office or even folks like yourself who help advise on the future of what is happening, not only on the policy side, but they you can merge, you know, what are the trends that are happening in tech and how do we protect, you know, children and just users in general from, you know, whatever is to come. I think the other thing that I'd I'd like to discuss really briefly is just about discord and these Pentagon papers. And I'm of the belief now, and I haven't gotten here just because of what just happened with this particular situation. But 
all of our tech platforms at some point, if if we really go back in, in history, they really started off for younger users. So I remember I was in college when Facebook came out and you had to have a college email address. <laughs> and I remember when TikTok started, it was just for children or mainly the, the biggest users was, were, were children. And even Discord, this is something that gamers do, although gamers can be any age. I want to say that. But it appears that all of these platforms eventually evolve. That's just what happens with business, right? And they eventually evolve out of whatever their original iteration and creation were intended for. And then you get into, you know, top secret materials on a gaming platform of all places and all things. I mean, we've lived through the age of WikiLeaks. We've lived through the age of people exposing things on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. But Discord, I definitely did not have that on my bingo card. (laughs) (laughs) I am probably pretty certain that there were a number of folks in the Pentagon and Capitol Hill Googling Discord. They were like, what is this? What is this this thing? And I think that's the part about the unknown. It's like there's just so much. There's just so much. And yeah, there's a need to open it up and make it open and everyone to have access, but at what cost, Yeah, you know, what cost are we willing to, to do that? And again, I am of the strong belief that there has to be a balance and that there has to be some level of guardrail, because when we look at a discord and we look at the, just the openness, I often think about, yes, let's look at like the fact that they're Pentagon, you know, highly classified documents there, but what other types of hate and when we look at the mass murders and the mass shootings and all of the intense racism Mm -hmm. that is happening in this country right now i think about also what are the dangers that can happen to people in living across this country if there's no level of regulation and or guardrails around these platforms to protect people Uh, because easily as you see classified information there what other type of information can be leaked and or shared about people in communities um that's stoked by what i believe is really i think some of the most dangerous um aspects of this country is white supremacy and racism that is absolutely very dangerous in this country and we are seeing a lot of tech platforms in many ways unfortunately manipulate it to advance this violence, this rhetoric that is deteriorating our our country and our communities. That's a good point you're making about how criminals are going criminal, you know, and they're going to use and find any platform to do and produce their criminal activity. And that's something that we you know, we always just have to be aware of. And there's a new piece today in The Atlantic that is speaking about just about that, right? Like chat rooms are really where people are beginning to create. I mean, if you even think about, you know, 
platforms like Signal or Telegram. These are more encrypted places. You know, um, WhatsApp used to be encrypted before it was bought out by Meta. But, you know, these are places where people are really just deciding, like, I want to do I want to take some type of action. And it can be for positive social change, but it can also be very sinister as well. But, you know, Joteka, as we wrap up, what is something that you would leave with our listeners as they think about tech and how it's integrated in literally, like you said, every aspect of our day to day lives? What is something that we should all just continue to think about? Because it's not going anywhere and people are just literally thinking of new and more creative ways to make our lives better through tech. But what are some things that we should continue to just monitor and be aware of as we think about the future? Well, the first thing is just to pay attention, Mm -hmm. to pay attention to the conversation. Yeah. We cannot as a society just say, oh, that's just some this thing over here, you know, oh, this chat GPT, that's just whatever this thing is. So this discord, this NFT thing. Oh, I don't understand it. Right. Oh, this Bitcoin thing. Mm -hmm. We have got to pay attention. Yeah. That's number one. We've got to we've got to understand it. And we've got to recognize, as you said, it's not going anywhere Mm -hmm. and it is going to increasingly be more integrated in our day to day life and impact us. And so the more we understand it, the more that we could take advantage of it in ways that it is positive and good. And the more that we can ensure that we are safeguarding ourselves against those that intend to manipulate these platforms and the technology for hate and or massive harm, then that's the better that we'll be. I think we have to, yes, embrace the technology, understand it, but also make sure that we are protecting society as a whole from what can be the dangers of it. And I think also equally as important is making sure that we prepare ourselves and the future generation for what is going to be a tech-enabled economy. Mm. That is very real. Okay. And we have to prepare our children and prepare ourselves to live and work in a world and an economy that is tech-driven. We are going to have to recognize that a simple mechanics job is going to be very different because cars are very different. Yeah. They're very computer generated. So you're going to have to understand and know how to work a computer um, in addition to the basic mechanic skills. Mm-hmm. Um, even your job at a fast food restaurant, you're going to have to at some point probably interface with a computer system or a toast machine if you work in a restaurant. You know, it is changing. And so how do we ensure that we are preparing not only ourselves, but our children and our future generations to be able to thrive in a tech enabled community and workforce so that we aren't left behind? So we don't get pushed out of jobs because we don't have the basic tech skills or we don't have those computer skills that we need. And so making sure that our schools are equipping our children and that we are making sure that particularly communities of color, particularly those of us that come from communities that where I come from, where broadband is still not even readily available in places like 
where I'm from in rural South Carolina. So how do we make sure that those communities are not left behind Mm -hmm. as we are seeing this massive, massive amount of forward movement around tech enabled and AI and all of this new burgeoning economy that is happening across not only the country, but the world. Those were great final wrap up points, particularly about where tech is going and how it will be integrated. And so I just want to thank you again, Joteka Edie. That's who we've been speaking with today about tech and just the integration and what it does and how it looks in everyday life. And so I want to just say thank you again. Again, this has been Joteka Edie. She's a strategist and investor. She's also an advocate and she is the founder of the hashtag win with black women. Thank you so much for sharing with us and our listeners. And I hope that you'll stop back by the show for updates as we get deeper and deeper into the tech economy. I look forward to it. I I would love to see it a year from now, whether or not Uh, We'll have TikTok and and what will become of Twitter. I think that would be probably an interesting conversation in the future. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. Being a staple in American media for over 90 years, Newsweek now brings you an exceptional lineup of podcasts. The debate. They'll recognize how these policies aren't working. They'll feel the pain and they'll change their behavior. The Josh Hammer Show. Restore the principles and the political paradigms of the American founding. The Crystal Knight Show. Just because officers are black doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist. Fast women. Chevy's actually doing really well and Honda's really not. Wow. (laughs) It's like the opposite of most people's perception of them. It is. The parting shot. Every year when the new nominations are announced, I get this excited, nostalgic feeling, and it brings out that little kid in me who just loved movies. The Royal Report. Harry and Meghan's head of comms has announced they now move forward to their kind of future outside the royal family. Newsweek Podcasts. New episodes drop weekly. Download or listen now at Newsweek.com or wherever you get your podcasts.